SQL Down Under is a podcast for professionals working in the SQL Server community. SQL Server is a trademark of Microsoft Corporation. Opinions expressed during the podcast are individual opinions and may not reflect the opinions of SQL Down Under or of Microsoft Corporation. Introducing Show 41 with guest Buck Woody. Welcome. Our guest today is Buck Woody from Microsoft. So welcome, Buck. Thank you, sir. Good to be here. As I do with everyone, uh, I'll get you to start by telling us how on earth did you ever come to be involved with SQL Server? (laughs) So uh, my background is in technology. When I was about 17 years old, like probably everybody else back in the day, this is a really, really, really long time ago, uh, I built my first computer. It had uh, one whole K of RAM. It used a Zilog chip. Uh, I wired up the board myself, uh, cut off every mm-hmm. radio in the house when it was on. Uh, I used a wooden box to store it in. It was pretty bad. Uh, television for output and a cassette tape player for storage. And I was just really impressed with myself. <laughs> wrote excellent. a word processor in uh, and uh, assembly. First thing I had to write was an assembly debugger because I made so many problems with the code. It took me probably three or four months to write this 40-character-wide uh, word processor. It was embarrassing. That's, am- that's amazing. But uh, played with that. I was highly interested in robotics, all things technical. Yeah. Um, I grew up kind of poor, so I went in the military when I was young, didn't have really an opportunity to go to school. And uh, while I was in the military, I actually was an admin. That was my title. But but in fact, I ended up working with computers everywhere I went. And um, so uh, from there, when I got out, I was in for six years in the Air Force, lived all over the world, lived over in Europe for a while and, and mm-hmm. up in North Dakota and Alaska and a few other places. And uh, when I got out, I moved back down to Florida, which is uh, what I consider my home, even though that's not where I'm originally from. Ah, okay. But uh, anyway, lived down there for a while, and, and I worked at an IBM reseller store as their technical support. And then from there, I uh, went to work at the Space Center for NASA as a contractor, um, worked at NASA for a while, and uh, then went to work at U.S. Space Command, which is just down the road, actually, from NASA Yeah. Um, at Patrick Air Force Base mm. there. And uh, worked in their IT departments and so on. Uh, joined a consulting firm, did computer training. Uh, from there, went to a medical firm, was an IT manager for a while. Um, from there, went to a manufacturing firm and was their data architect. All along the way, for the past 22 years, I've, I've been in databases um, yeah. in one form or another. Mm-hmm. Uh, DBase back in the day, or XBase, yeah. as they used to call it, and uh, even Clipper and things like that. Mm-hmm worked on mainframe databases with COBOL systems and so on, mm-hmm. Oracle, uh, then Sybase, and then started with SQL Server 4.2. Yep. And kind of in and out and always had multiple data platforms, never just SQL Server. Yeah. Um, even did some MySQL, Postgres, things like mm-hmm. that, IBM's DB2, worked on an AS400 system mm-hmm. a little bit, uh, things like that. So I've always just kind of come back around to the database role. Yeah. With SQL Server 4.2, did you ever do anything terribly serious with that? No. I was going to say, the things we tried with it, I I never really felt like it could do what I wanted it to do. You know, I think it was the first sort of uh, uh, desktop database that I dealt with, other than Mm. I'm not counting Access or or XBase or Clipper or DBase or any of those. Those, in my mind, weren't even 
and I'll say it, weren't even true databases yeah. in the in the classical sense, mm. not relational databases anyway. Yeah. But I also think is, anything that doesn't have a server process yeah, that is exactly. is responsible for the database. There you go. Yeah. There you go. Yeah. So that was it was the first one of those for me on a mm. on a desktop system. Yeah. Um, and uh, so this first one of those there, uh, other than a mainframe, I had dealt with serious databases there. Even when I was on Oracle, I was on a Vax cluster. Yeah. Uh, so a uh, little, little difference there. And, mm-hmm. and having that power there on the server that you run for a small department, it had some advantages. And we did small yeah. things. I think we kept a um, uh, some sort of training database or something mm-hmm. at the time. So it was it was something like that. So yeah. just always sort of ended back up in databases, mm-hmm. um, ended up becoming... Um, President of the the uh, SQL Server user group there in Tampa, Florida, okay. for about four or five years. I uh, took it over mm. from a gentleman that had left, and uh, wrote about. In the, fact, we uh, with Pass, we have two chapters uh, yes, in Tampa yeah, Bay. Yeah, yeah, yeah there's a, great people. A, uh, also, yeah, BI chapter, and in fact, I saw Pam Shaw just before. Pam's from, great. Yeah, Pam's great. From, yeah, all of the guys down there. I missed Florida mm. a great deal now that I'm up here. At I should mention we're actually at the Pass <laughs> Summit uh, right. as we're yeah, recording this. Yep. So yes, I, I you're in my new home. Yeah, yeah. I, I did see Pam just before. Yeah, yeah she's a sweetheart. And then. Um, also wrote about five books on SQL Server, starting with seven, usually around the exam cram and exam mm-hmm. prep guides, things like that, um, in addition to some administration uh, books. At the time, there weren't that many DBA mm-hmm. sort of books. Um, so that's kind of where I went with that. And then uh, was contacted by one of the local field offices there at Microsoft, asked me once they had seen me do some presentations and things like that mm-hmm. if I'd be interested in coming up and talking to Microsoft. And here I am. And the rest is history. And, yeah. and the rest is history, yeah. <laughs> That's good. So tell us about your current role. Okay. When I first started at Microsoft, I came into the user education group. So these are people mm-hmm. that do the white papers, uh, books online, um, some of the online help, things like that. So I wrote a lot. Uh, after about a year there, I moved out of that group and into the PM role or program manager role. And I'm in the MPU, which is the Manageability Product Unit. So we deal okay, with we got the, lots, lots of acronyms lots there. Lots of PLAs. So PM, yes, we'll sir. start with. So, of course, we have program managers and product managers. Yeah, so yeah. for the listeners, what, what's the difference? So at Microsoft, it's a bit different than everywhere else. And I picked up an annoying habit, which is starting every sentence with the word so. And so, I'm doing yeah. that right now, <laughs> hopefully. Uh, the program manager role at Microsoft is slightly different than some of the other roles I've had. I've, I've been in software development shops mm. before in my career. This is not new. The particular role I'm in is just called something different here. Uh, PM, you'll often hear referred to as project manager or product manager or mm. program manager. At Microsoft, those are distinct roles. Yeah. Uh, the program manager, the role I have right now, we, we have several types. There is a... Uh, someone who does things with the product, the actual, uh, what we call a product PM, and we Mm -hmm. will develop features. And I own a few features inside Management Studio. For instance, the Object Explorer details, uh, excuse me, Object Explorer details, um, and Object Explorer and the query window, all these things are actually separate and are owned by separate people inside the company because they're quite large, right? Mm. So so they're pretty big. The uh, feature PM is responsible for that area. The first thing they do, a feature PM does, is begin to scour the market, competition, uh, marketing, and especially, of course, the uh, customers. Yeah. And say, what would be good here? They're expected to have broad po- product knowledge and understand how the product would be used. Mm. They will pitch a feature uh, to the team and say, we should put this in. This is the way we should work mm-hmm. with this feature. Everyone is doing this. 
and uh, there are only so many things that can be done by the next release. Mm. And your your improvement is put on a list. It's voted on. It's moved up and down, and so on. And it either makes the cut or it does not. Yeah. Uh, and you'll you'll submit several, not just mm. one. In a feature PM's role, then uh, you go from uh, sort of evaluating and getting ready to launch a feature to being the person who writes the specifications. We have rather stringent specifications there at Microsoft, software specs, Mm -hmm. UML, that sort of thing. We write these things up, and uh, we turn in sort of a designer. And this is, uh, when we do the specifications, we normally do the functional specifications. The functional specifications that are delivered to the development team, the developers begin to work on it and create design specs and test Mm -hmm. specs and so on. At that point, you sort of become part of the dev team, and you're not a manager of a developer. They actually have Mm -hmm. their own managers, but you work with that uh, development team to get your feature done. So at this point, and to validate the absolutely, so you're shepherding everything at this point Mm -hmm. through. You're working with documentation, the user education group I mentioned earlier. Mm -hmm. You're getting that written down. You're working with legal. You're working with marketing. You're working Mm -hmm. with all kinds of people, and you're designing and building the feature. Hmm. Then you turn around towards the end and you begin all of the process-oriented work, which is more of the project manager that you hmm. think about, that gets the product out the door. You're, you're literally hmm. worried about schedules and budget and time and resources and so on. Hmm. And then when it's done, you come to places like Pass and you become an evangelist. And yep. you talk about <laughs> your feature and tell everyone what a great job you did and, and why that's in there and so on. In the meantime... Uh, as soon as we roll off of a release of SQL Server, we mm-hmm. begin to work on the next one. Yeah. So while you're evangelizing, you're already trying to figure out what goes in the next version. Mm. Uh, sometimes it's things you wanted to get in the previous one. Most of the time, it's some new direction. We're yeah. handed big strategies down. So that's mm-hmm. a feature PM, and mm-hmm. that's what I used to do in my in my group. There's also uh, this process PM, the person that makes sure that things get built and shipped and tests mm-hmm. Millions of tests are run. Lots of escrow accounts are created mm-hmm. for the code and so on. Branching and uh, team services and so on. That that requires an amazing amount of um, logistics. And mm-hmm. so you're kind of that, that logistics PM. And then the third kind of PM is the role I'm filling now, which is the community PM. Yeah. And in this role, we work with vendors. We work with partners. We work with clients. We work with MVPs, such mm-hmm. as yourself. We work with PASS. I own all of these areas to make sure my group gets their message out and the message from those customers, including the general customers, get back into the group. Mm. So I'll make sure and plug the right people into the right places and say, you may want to talk with this vendor because they have something that's going to be impacted by a new feature and so on. So Mm. that's my current role. So there's three uh, program managers at Microsoft, Mm. uh, at least in our groups, in the SQL Server groups. Every major development group at Microsoft slightly different, um, but largely what I've described is is mm. someone will fall into all those buckets. I should say that not every team has a um, an evangelism PM, sort of this, yeah. this customer PM role. Uh, you have to be big enough, and your product mm. has to be customer facing enough to warrant that. To warrant it, yeah. Um, so, like maybe the security team may not have yeah. one or, or something like that. Not that it's not although a there product. are separate security evangelists. Of course, yeah. yeah so. Now, now there are evangelism roles at Microsoft, which mm. are different than what I just mentioned. Yeah. Uh, my role is in the product group, so I'm not in sales or anything mm. like that. I'm not directly gauged on sales or things yeah. like that. Mine is literally to make sure there's input and output from my group to the community. The marketing folks also have evangelists. 
they are there to make sure the broad public and general public at large understands what we've put in the system and why. Mm. So there's some overlap there, but um, uh, this is unusual in that there's a group large enough to have an individual evangelism type role. Yeah. Um, although I still uh, sit with the developers, I still mm. still a PM. Yeah. Uh, in my group. What about product? Uh, sorry, product managers then. Product managers, depending on the group you're in, um, there is a product manager role inside SQL Server. Largely, that title is over in marketing. Mm. So they own a particular feature set that is sold. And so they'll work more with the sales and budget side of things. Now, yeah. we work with those folks, but we don't have product managers in our group. Mm. We often tend to see, uh, I'd say, newer people in the product manager role. So it seem, seem, seems Could to be. be an early role that a lot of people come into. Could be. And, and I know marketing, so. uh, I remember calling a program manager once a product manager, and that was obviously yeah. the wrong thing to do. <laughs> I did, when I first got there and somebody told me they were PM, I naturally assumed project manager. Um, at Microsoft, the project manager, they, they have those, but those are actually also in a different group. Mm-hmm. And because of that, the person wasn't offended, but it was the wrong title yeah. and set me straight very quickly. Mm-hmm. Um, in my previous role, uh, project manager was something that was fairly high up in my other companies that I've mm-hmm. ever been to. I, I, I even was on the path to do the PMP certification, yep. uh, the project manager certification. Um, but at Microsoft, it's not treated the same way. Mm-hmm. All of us actually are project managers. Yeah. Uh, even the devs uh, do project management work, yeah. and we're expected to all do that. Well, the topic we were going to talk about today is is the current passion, which is uh, PowerShell. Yeah. And uh, I've been to a lot of sessions, and yeah. I must admit I've started using it myself uh, predominantly in relation to uh, policy-based management. Right. But a lot of the reaction I've got from people is they sort of look at PowerShell and they say, that's very cute, uh-huh. uh, but what would I want to use it for? What do I do with that? <laughs> what do I what, do with what that? What is it? Is uh, the first question. The idea that I could navigate around SQL Server objects like a directory mm-hmm. or something in a disk how is, is kind of cute, but yeah. how is it useful? Sure. Yeah. Um, what I normally get are two questions. What is it? Mm-hmm. And then what do I do with it? And, yeah. and why is that interesting? Because I have other technologies. Mm-hmm. And I'll be honest with you, I, I come from an Oracle and, and mm-hmm. Unix background as well, and you have Perl. And yeah. The whole world runs on Perl, right? Mm-hmm. So... Um, what is a little t-shirt you see the geeks wearing, you know, be careful, I'll replace you with a two-line Perl script. Uh, and then that can be largely true. You can do anything in Perl. You couldn't read it when you're done, but you can do it. Yeah, in yeah. fact, uh, I, I recall um, one uh, some of the .NET classes I used to teach, I, yeah. I found a complete uh, implementation of one of the encryption algorithms in two lines of Perl. Yeah. Yes. It is amazing what you can do in Perl. Yeah. So when I heard about PowerShell, I thought, mm-hmm. okay, that's what the world needs is another scripting language. Yeah, that, that's what uh, we absolutely. Need is another because we just don't have enough mm-hmm. of those. Even at Microsoft, we've got what Windows <laughs> scripting host, Visual Basic script, C script. Yep. You go on and on. So uh, when I started looking at this, I thought, well, I I, I wasn't I wasn't mm-hmm. impressed. But when when our group uh, and my group was one of the ones, the manageability team, uh, Mikhail Worries is the gentleman's name, incredibly brilliant man, yeah. uh, created this provider for PowerShell. Still still didn't know what that meant, didn't really mm. care. Saw the early prototypes, and he would type DIR, and here's a list of the database names, and so he would change directories mm. to a database, which was kind of interesting. And he would type DIR, and here's the tables, and mm. he'd change directory to a table, and he'd type DIR, and here the table would spit out. And I thought, well, okay, fine. Yeah. <laughs> 
But, cute, um, but yeah, that's cute. Yeah. Okay, what do I do with that? I've got Management Studio, and if I wanted to code, if I wanted to write code, which mm. are the, the few PowerShell scripts I saw were very codey, mm. uh, and they, they looked a lot like code, I would write code. And yeah. most DBAs I know are, are quite busy. They have mm. more than one role. They do more than one thing. They work with Windows. They are your exchange administrators sometimes. Uh, they mm. do it all in a small company. Um, that I had that role multiple mm. times throughout my career. This is different than, say, an Oracle DBA. When I was an Oracle DBA, again, on a VAX, when I logged in, I was dropped into a SQL Plus command line. I, I didn't get to do anything inside the operating system on a VAX cluster. Mm. I was a pure DBA. It's all I did. It's all I did all day long. Yeah. work with data, and I didn't know what memory we had. I didn't care. I didn't mm. know what storage we had. I didn't care. That was all handled by a system administrator somewhere. Yeah. On SQL Server, it's the opposite, right? You've got um, you've got an amazing amount of information that you have to keep in your head. So I'll sometimes see developers that, that look at a DBA and go, well, just learn to code. Mm. And it's another thing to learn. It's, it's yeah. yet more I have to understand. And I, I just don't have time. I, it's not that I'm lazy or that I'm not as smart as you. I don't have time for that. And yeah. so I don't have time to learn to code. When I started looking at PowerShell, I found out it's two things. The first thing is it's a shell. Yeah. Uh, so you get this DIR, you get an environment and so mm. on. It has some widgets that are mildly useful that are mm. there. And there's three big ideas inside there. The first is the idea of these commandlets um, that you'll see separated by a dash. Yeah. Now, they're often aliased, which you can do in Perl mm. as well. But the point is that the aliases are things like uh, get child item is actually DIR, yep. which is also aliased, by the way, to LS. Mm. So if you're more of a Unix person, you can make you it look can like You can feel Unix. totally comfortable. Yeah. yeah. So... So now I'm in an environment that I'm familiar with. So that starts taking care of some problems for me. I don't have to relearn something. Mm. And that began to be mildly useful. So then I began to look at some of the things you can do in PowerShell, notwithstanding SQL Server, nothing about SQL Server. And one of the things you can do is with a simple commandlet, you can read the event logs. Mm. Okay, that's kind of interesting. We've had power toys that have done that for years and the yeah. resource kit tools and all that. But then I began to look and I can write to the event logs. Mm. And that becomes more interesting. And the same command I read one with, I, I, there's a get and a set. Hmm. Uh, so now I have a set, and I can go do something. And I've learned the command, and it's leverage because a get and a set, just the two different words there, but it's the event logs and so on. Now yeah. suddenly I can put things in an event log. Hmm. Well, now I need to do that from time to time because I already have a tool, a hmm. resource kit, happened to be a resource kit tool, that would read the event logs and make a web page out of them. Mm. And I thought, well, that's kind of interesting. And, and the alternative to these, we should say, were probably things like extended stored procs, where we could say sure. XP write log and all that but sort of stuff. But even so, yeah. I could, I could, th those were only for SQL things. Keep yep. in mind, as a DBA, as a, a SQL Server DBA, mm. I may be asked to do more than just SQL Server. Yeah. Then I find out that this thing will talk not only to lots of Windows things, especially WMI, the mm. Windows Management Interface. So I can now ask things like, show me this registry key, or what's the state of a service? Or even more important for a yeah. DBA, change the password on a service yeah. from a script. Well, now we're or talking. Or the whole, how yeah. full is this disk? Or There's what, that. What is the sector alignment on this disk? So I I mean, that was interesting. All these things. And yeah. then I found out, oh, it talks to mom, and it talks to um, uh, exchange, and it talks mm. to, hey, it talks to all kinds of stuff. Mm. Okay, that's mildly interesting. So then I found out this, I, the next idea from commandlets is piping. Mm. So I can take what's happening on the left and using the pipe symbol, which is just the double yeah. lines, right? I can send that to the right. Mm. 
hmm, oh, I'm familiar with this because I'm a DBA. Yeah. So I select something from somewhere and enter join, mm. right? And I go, okay, I get the idea of taking a set of data, comparing it to another set of data, and doing something on it. Mm. That's exactly what a pipe is. And I thought, well, that's interesting. And then I found out you can put another pipe on it. So I can mm. do the following things. I could read the event logs, look for something in them that says the word error, and then send an email. Hmm. In a very short, understandable, which is the difference in the in Perl, yeah. a very short, understandable string, I can suddenly begin to Lego block this thing, and I can say, well, I, I always want emails, and I, I, I like web pages, or I like this kind of notification, and I need to check my logs, and I need to check my drives, and I need to check my services. I could do all three of those things, send the output to a web page for my bosses to look at to see how the server's doing today, and send me an email if there's something wrong. Now this becomes interesting. Mm. Then they added the SQL provider. And I thought, okay, that's interesting as well. Well, it's not just the DIR part. The third thing in PowerShell that becomes interesting is the idea of a variable. And a variable, dollar sign, whatever I want mm. to call it, can be strongly typed or not. Most of us DBAs like non-strongly typed yep. uh, variables of a scripting language. And so I can create this variable and make it equal to the DIR command. Yeah. Now that was interesting because I've taken the output of DIR, which might be a directory or in the PowerShell case for SQL mm. Server, a database name. Yeah. Or an entire file or, or something. File. Yeah. And I can anything. look at that. But here's what's interesting about it. This is where it gets interesting to a mm. developer. Uh, you developers have always had the dot syntax. So you mm. type database dot, uh, um, uh, server level mm. and you get back a, 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 a property on that database. Yeah. I've never had that. I've had to run select statements and so on. Mm. But now I have them. So now I could take that database, adventureworks.serverlevel, or or a space used, and I get a number back. Mm. And I could set that adventureworks.space used. I could make that equal to dollar sign space in database one. And yeah. I could pair it to space in database two. And I could then find out if it's been backed up recently with dot last backup date. Mm -hmm. And if that's greater than today, in other words, it hasn't been backed up, find a drive using the other PowerShell Windows commands that has the most space, make an emergency backup, send me an email, and do a web report to that DBA mm -hmm. in a line. Yeah. So suddenly, and, and here's the key, it's repeatable. Yeah. So now I've done something one time. I've thought it through. I've scripted it out. And I've been able to repeat an action. Now you toss in variables at the top where I don't put adventure works. I say, DIR all of my databases and mm. do this. Suddenly the DBA has the power that you as the developer have always had. Yeah. You, you know how to do these arrays and so on. Mm. I don't have time to learn that, but suddenly that's available to me in a very short period of time. Yeah. So I get these. I can save them off. Here's another thing. I'll show this tomorrow at my demonstration mm. on policy or excuse me on uh, PowerShell for SQL Server. I'll script out a table object to a variable. Mm. Then later, someone I go in and I make a change to that table. I will script the uh, the uh, database object again to another variable. Now, I can write both of those variables out to files if I wanted. Mm. But there's another commandlet called compare object. It will compare variable A and B, I called them before and after, and show me little lines pointing to the one that had uh, more columns or less columns. Yeah. And send me an email. Looks like Bob just changed the data type on this table. 
or it could store that each night. And now I've got my, I've suddenly got code coverage. Mm. I've suddenly got the ability to check in transact SQL scripts and compare them in a single line. And I could do that daily and have that in a web report or an email or, a, or a, inside my event logs or whatever. So now I'm, I'm doing things um, that DBAs really care about, things mm. that they, that, that are difficult to do, scripting out a table, saving it somewhere, comparing the next script to it, and then showing the differences. That's not easily done. It can be done, but it's not easily yeah. done. But it's and not sex. easily done repeatedly over a large number of databases. Over a large number yeah. of databases mm. and over an unknown number of databases. Yeah. So another thing that it can do, it lets me work with XML documents really easy. I'm not mm-hmm. an XML guy, but I under- I get them. I understand them. Yeah. But, but you know, using a DOM and XPath and XQuery and all that, it's kind it's of non-trivial. It's non-trivial, yeah. yeah? But I want to use that. So now I've set up an XML file. I still, I'm still a DBA, by the mm. way. I still have a couple of projects I do as a DBA outside of Microsoft. Mm. Um, now I have, uh, one of my DBAs feed a database, a table, and so on into this XML file using a nice pretty form that they're just using, using Word or Excel or whatever. I go read that from PowerShell, navigate it automatically, and perform the same actions against whatever that DBA entered in the form. Mm. So now I've got sort of, I give him his level of control that he needs and I get my level of control because I know the actions are going to be performed the proper way. He mm. just puts down which ones he wants it acted against. Yeah. Uh, and it's, it's pretty, it's again, a one line, really mm. simple to understand piece of code. So I built these little things into blocks. I learned how to make a function, which really wasn't that difficult. Yep. It was just the word function. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> Once I did that, now I can make reusable scripts. So that, that, that same driver file can be used for multiple things and mm-hmm. send things to the event logs and send emails and send web pages and so on. Mm-hmm. So I just found it to be incredibly useful. I was able in a very short period of time with my very difficult schedule to learn and implement a management solution that is script based. Yeah. And script based, when you're talking hundreds of servers, yeah. scripting is the way to go. Script, There's no yeah, graphical tool around that's going to help you. Yeah. It's funny. I, I see the same. I used to see the same things with, uh, People doing Windows Server administration, yeah. and they would have to move all the users uh, into yes. a particular group or something. And you, and they almost it almost looked like they thought it was their job to sit there in the GUI <laughs> tool, moving all these people one at a time into a group or yeah. something like that. And and you say, well, I mean, you, have you ever considered just learning to write a script that <laughs> would be like script, ten yeah. lines long yes. and they would just do the whole Take thing? The inputs from and, an Excel file or something. Yeah, yeah. and so it's got to be the same thing it really is. for. Uh, for the uh, the DBAs, I mean, again, I would imagine if you're making significant uh, changes to settings or policy, sure, all sorts of things. Yeah. I mean, doing it via scripts the way to do it's, it. It is, and you can create other objects. So um, the key there that that the DBAs don't have to know or care about, but the developers might be mildly interested in, is you're in .NET. Mm. So if you need to create a new object that happens to be an Excel worksheet, navigate to the third tab and insert a new row. You could do that very, yes. very simply. And for the for the non-developer, for the person who's already got a job, thank you very much, that becomes incredibly powerful because, yeah. as we know, Excel is the world's largest database. Yes. And uh, so having access to those and being able to mess with them in scripting code is just amazing yeah. uh, to me. So that's In fact, uh, I've heard arguments that... Uh Argue that currently Excel macros are probably the most popular programming language <laughs> in the world. It. I yeah. wouldn't doubt it. Mm. Yeah, we actually did uh, at a company I was at. I won't name the company because it's probably true at just about every company. Yeah. We had to do. We were covered by Sarbanes Oxley, mm. and um, 
we, we had to do our business process analysis and write down our critical business paths. And we found a good 30 to 40% of our critical business paths mm-hmm. involved Excel. Yeah. And, and yeah, people I, may I know. laugh, but you know what? Oh, no, it's completely it, true. It's, it happens. It mm-hmm. happens. I, I would imagine if you delved into certain large technology companies, uh, and, and not Microsoft, other tech, yeah. large technology companies that happen to like to take shots at Microsoft, I think you'd find they run on Excel. <laughs> yeah, th- yeah. Th- uh, as I said, like yeah, I know. Even uh, it, it's always been the case. Though. I mean, even if you go back to, uh, I remember the 1980s, and yeah. there was a discussion yeah. about what was the most popular programming yeah. language. Yeah. And I mean, it could have been the you know, COBOLs and RPGs and but it was Lotus, and, Lotus, but it was Lotus macro yeah. language. Yeah, yeah. That's, <laughs> that's it right. was easily more code written than that than anything it, else. It's probably incredibly bad and unprotected <laughs> yep. and everything else. So that's what I found for it to be useful. Now, um, mm-hmm. again, if, if somebody's a Perl addict or if they already have their processes down, great, great. I have mm-hmm. no problem with that. But I will, I will throw out this challenge. Uh, I used to do this when I would hire DBAs. Mm-hmm. And I hired Oracle DBAs and SQL DBAs yep. and Postgres DBAs and all that. And it's called a five by five by five by five by whatever problem. The idea is this. I'd like five different databases mm-hmm. on five different instances or installations. In each of those five different databases on those five different servers, I would like five different users. Mm. I would like them to have five different permissions on five different tables. Go. Yeah. And if you'd like to do that in a graphical interface from Oracle, SQL Server, I don't care who it is. Uh, if you'd like to do that, I'd love to see that happen. Mm. Um, it will take you hours and hours and hours yeah. to do that graphically if, in fact, you click things one at a time. Uh, you'd script it, you'd I, I, I might add, uh, I, I, I think a typical uh, SQL Server DBA would probably write a short T-SQL script that generated text, T-SQL. which was a T-SQL script, and yes. then they would execute yes. that. Yeah. And what I do is I do what I call templates. So I'd build the database, mm-hmm. and then I would right-click and script it out, and yeah. then I would I would go change that script to have variables and then feed the variables. Mm-hmm. But you could do that in PowerShell or Perl. My, yeah. my Oracle DBAs, when they would interview, would sit and think for a really long time. Mm. Grab out their USB stick, yep. uh, plug it in, and then begin to look uh, for the particular Perl script they were looking for, modify that, and then probably 10 minutes later, they would have a script they could feed a, a set of control files that would yeah. do exactly what I had asked. Mm. Um, do you, do you think the, this is something that will have any effect on the comfort level for an Oracle DBA moving across? You know, across? I would love to have seen us do uh, – this is this is Buck Woody. This mm. is not Microsoft. Yeah. I would love for us to see seen us do a Perl Sharp. And there was discussions mm. around that or, or whatever. Um, and I think there is a, a, a Perl Codeplex thing out there that somebody yeah. else has done, whatever. That's great. And I think that might have gotten you uh, more mind share around an Oracle audience if, you mm. did, if you'd have told them, okay, you can now also manage SQL Server. There has always been the driver for databases, the, o- the ODBC-type database drivers mm. for Perl. So if you wanted to do that, you could do that today. Yeah. Um, the, the whole Perl idea, though, is not based around .NET necessarily, of course. Mm. Um, whereas PowerShell is. And so if you're a Microsoft centric shop, uh, and you know, if you've got Linux mm. in there or whatever, then God yeah. bless you, but uh, you, this isn't going to be as useful as it could be. Mm. But if you're Microsoft centric, and especially if you're the poor person who has to manage everything, mm. and I've seen those people, I, I talked yeah. to a guy at tech, I thought I had to manage a lot in a small mm. company, um, different platforms. This guy managed Oracle, SQL Server, small company, mm. uh, 500 people, I think. Oracle, SQL Server, Exchange, their web presence, their Windows systems, and their Solaris installation. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and I thought, mm. okay, wow. Yeah. You know, so what kind of depth are you going to have when you, when you have yeah. that breadth, right, that you have to keep in mm. your head? 
Um, so anyway, my point is that with, with a bunch of these scripts that are well commented and well uh, understood, you can really be incredibly flexible. So I don't know mm. that it's going to be a, a, an Oracle cell per se. Yeah. Um, it's .NET, so there are .NET mm. providers for Oracle. You could certainly load one and reflect across it and mm. write anything you'd want. Um, what, what about the alternative, I suppose, comparison, mm-hmm. is that I could easily also build that in integration services. Sure, absolutely. Yeah. Again, graphical. Mm. Uh, there's, there's a, but there's I could a, easily build just a looping container. You I certainly could. could. Yeah. A driver and so file. On and so on and so on. Uh, connecting yep. to Excel could probably be done mm. that way yep. and so on. Um, I'm wondering how you'd deliver that around. Mm. Uh, and, and I'm wondering how much of that you want your Windows administrators to have to run for you. So theoretically, the DBA could build a PowerShell script. Uh, that has the Windows log checking and, and yeah. all of that kind of thing and the SQL work, hand it to the Windows administrator and say, you're using PowerShell, right? And they'd say, mm-hmm. yeah, we're using it for exactly what you just talked yeah. about, which is moving large users. Run mm-hmm. this on Thursdays at 7 o'clock on the servers that I'm not allowed to touch. Yeah. Now imagine giving that person a uh, SSIS package and saying, just open Management Studio. No, wait, no business you know, information development. Yeah, I, I think you'd give them, the, you'd give them a, a prepackaged package. Sure you would, but, and you'd give them a DTS run yeah, and all that kind indeed. of stuff. So I get it, but mm. my point is imagine giving them one over the other. If, yeah, I, if I had to, I'd probably vote for the PowerShell script. Yeah. So the beauty thing... Beautiful I, either thing. one, I suppose, the, the nice thing is also in SQL Server Agent, I don't know if people realize, but again, there's a PowerShell yes. job step. Yeah, that, so that, in 2008, that's a very good point that mm. you brought that up. The other thing that this gives me is the ability to schedule because Agent is a very good scheduler, mm. uh, schedule a PowerShell step. It's now part, you know, you can pull down the different yeah. steps. It's now a PowerShell, there's a, there's a PowerShell scripting step. Mm. So you dump your script in there, and SQL will run it for you. Yep. Combine that with the master job server mm. uh, feature that's been in there since forever. Yeah, forever. Yeah. And uh, you could now distribute uh, things across your enterprise from a single location using PowerShell. Yeah. It gets very understandable, very transparent. Mm. Um, and, uh, very easy to use. You have the same permissions that you have when you log on. It's no, there's no elevation here unless mm. you put it in there, which would be a bad idea. Well, again, you specify the credentials. Exactly. So, so yeah. it's, it's good to go. So I, I, mm. I don't view it as an either or like, well, I would just do this in, in Perl. Good, good. Go mm. do it in Perl. Uh, I would use management. Studio. Good. Go do that in management. Studio. Here's yeah. another option. It's mm. not as if we're going to take anything away. It's a way that, that you can extend if you're, if you're a mm. scripting based person. And if you have more than four or five hundred servers in your organization, you should be. Yeah. Um, you. This is an option. This is an option for you. Yeah. Well, so that's probably a great point to just take a short break, and we'll be back. As well as community resources such as this podcast, SQL Down Under offer mentoring services and both private and public training options. If you need to get your project back on track, or if you need to get it off to a good start, why not give us a call? We have also recently introduced a series of online courses available in both Asia-Pacific and US-UK time zones. In particular, the first course that's offered in this series is Query Performance Tuning. You'll find details at www.sqldownunder.com. So welcome back from the break. Um, just before we continue, I suppose we, we should ask the question, is there life outside SQL Server? <laughs> <laughs> well, 
Well, I was in, uh, just for some reason lately, and again, I am the community PM, but uh, this just happened to work out this way. Uh, I was recently at TechEd Brazil. Wow. Uh, I'll give a shout out to my people in Brazil there. Uh, Obrigado for all the things that you did for me while I was down there. Um, that was a 24-hour flight from Seattle. Yeah. Uh, a week after I got back, I went to TechEd Barcelona, Spain. Yes, I, I must have just missed you. I was there yeah, for the second, there the second week, week. for Barcelona. Yes, it was right. great fun. They told me actually. you were coming. I said, oh, I'm yes. just going to miss him. It was so good. I was there for the IT Pro week. Hmm. Uh, that week, I got nine hours of sleep. <laughs> so there were several nights that um, I did not, it, I, because everyone will be waking up here mm. when I, is nine hours difference. Yeah. When I was um, finishing up, I had three presentations each day mm. at Tech Ed uh, Brazil, uh, or Barcelona, and uh, they would send me all these things that need to be done right now. And yeah. so I'd end up working through the night. And then the first night I got about five hours of sleep. And then yeah. the third night there, about four hours. Mm. And that was it. That was literally Even it, so. Tom Casey the, in this morning's keynote mentioned uh, – <laughs> The fact that the group is now spread over, uh, the sun doesn't set. It doesn't so set anymore, it, yeah. and it's it's amazing. Mm-hmm. So at any rate, to answer your question, um, yes, I'm very jealous of my Saturdays mm-hmm. and uh, Sundays. I go to church on Sunday mm-hmm. and uh, with my family, and then on Saturdays we we alternate weekends. Uh, one I write for informit.com as well. Mm-hmm. I'm the SQL Server personality there. So I have that due. I teach a college class on uh, Wednesday nights on databases. I noticed that on your auto reply. Yes, it yeah. mentions a college class. Yeah, so what sort of class? It's on database, uh, hmm. on database administration. And uh, it's a three-part course I teach the first uh, semester. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I get them into relational databases. We start out with um, I give them a vague set of requirements. Mm-hmm. Uh, they have to go through and, and find out what I didn't ask. And they, they, mm-hmm. their first homework assignment is literally, you know, I need some more information from you. I act as the yeah. customer. It's for a, a the a, first thing, first thing to learn is that you need to ask more questions. There's always yep. more questions. <laughs> I trick them by giving them forms that the quote unquote company, it's a, it's a veterinarian company mm-hmm. that does the, the, um, like farms and things like yeah. that. Uh, I trick them by by giving them some forms they use to see if they'll start designing a database based off the forms. Yeah. Um, they come back with the questions, and then we pull out nouns and verbs. Mm-hmm. Uh, we then begin to group those into entities. And yep. this, the third thing or fourth thing I teach them is how to do an ERD, an Entity mm. Relationship Diagram. So it's a good three weeks into the class before we turn on a computer. And yeah. they're, they're kind of surprised by that. So anyway, we go through this project that I just mentioned from that vague set of requirements mm. through the ERD all the way through all the physical objects, creating tables, users, um, databases, all these things. Yeah. Scripting, uh, we go through Transact SQL briefly. We go through um, creating uh, stored procedures, triggers. I uh, teach them about the evilness of cursors. Uh, but I do teach <laughs> them cursors, but I teach them how evil they are. Uh, we then also go through um, maintenance and tuning. We just finished mm-hmm. tuning last night. Uh, so anyway, I teach a class at University mm-hmm. of Washington on Wednesday evenings. And uh, let's see, on the weekends, as I mentioned, we alternate. Uh, one weekend in, I have to do a bunch of work mm-hmm. uh, on Saturday. But then the other weekend, we go t- to a city uh, like Seattle or Tacoma or wherever mm-hmm. and do something in the city, either a museum or science fair or whatever. Mm-hmm. And then the other weekend, we do outside. So we'll go hiking okay. or snow skiing or mountain climbing. Mount Rainier is near here. Uh, so we go It'd see. probably be good to have a mixture of both given the weather yeah. can, can be well, variable. We, we, so. just, we decided a long time ago. We're from Florida, so yeah. it's, it's pretty jarring to be up here mm. in, the, in the cold and the rain. But we just decided it doesn't matter. And yeah. you dress up and you, you put it's, little... it's funny you mention that. I, I had some uh, other friends that moved to Seattle and they – and. Uh, 
I talked to them about the weather, and they said, "Look, first up, they got sort of the Seattle blues, yeah, and uh, yeah. and they said eventually, though, they just gave up, and they said they just go for walks in the they rain, they picnic in the rain, they well, it doesn't really rain life goes here. on, yeah, it doesn't yeah. really rain. That's right, here. it doesn't really it rains, rain, and you can't see your hand in front of your yeah. face, and lightning is dancing around mm-hmm. uh, so much that you can feel it. Um, yeah, here, uh, what they call rain is what we would in Florida call either a light sprinkle or a mist. Yeah, uh, it's it's but it's irritating, but you you don't even need a raincoat. No. I mean, you just wear a hoodie and, and you're kind of done. Mm. But we go out and we just decide a long time ago, we were, my wife and I were both in the military, and mm. you make the best of where you are, yeah. and it's absolutely gorgeous up here, so we just mm. get out. My daughter loves it. We put a little uh, a blanket on the dog uh, when it's raining, mm. and she goes with us up in the mountains hiking. Uh, I do a blog at uh, carpedatum.spaces.live.com and uh, I put pictures there of our latest adventures and so on. He sees the day. Sees the sees the day. Sees the datum. Uh, oh, yeah, sees the datum. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Carpe datum. Yeah. Dot spaces. Dot live. Dot com. So sees the data. Uh, anyway, that we just go out, and I'm real jealous of those times. You know, your children mm. grow up quick. I've got a yeah, that is so quick. Yeah. And so um, we want to make them just just drink every moment that we can. Mm. We work pretty hard during the week. Yeah. Uh, and um, and we we I'm real jealous of the weekends mm. as much as I can be. That's great. And so with, uh, I suppose one of the things that we were talking about with PowerShell before was just the actual language. Yeah. And so just maybe for people that haven't really looked at it, uh-huh. um, I'm just sort of thinking about how you describe the level of complexity of the language sure. in terms of like learning the language and what you could compare it to. Perhaps. Okay. Um, as far as the level of complexity, I would put it somewhere between just a standard command shell, mm-hmm. and uh, which is incredibly simple, very few yeah. commands. And uh, VB script. I'd put yeah. it somewhere in between those. The commandlets are the key. The piping is the key, and the variables are the key. If you can learn those three things, and then three commandlets. Uh, the first is called get dash help, mm. <laughs> which is the help command, uh, and that can be alias to things like help or whatever if you'd like. Yeah. Um, get dash help on, and then you type the name of a command to the right of it. Will get you help on that command, and mm-hmm. it's got other things in there like dash details. This is similar to man, M A N, in Unix. In fact, it's it's uh, the get dash help is alias to man. Yeah. Uh, used to say man, man. Yeah, man, man. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you <laughs> can be help on help. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and then uh, the next uh, commandlet that's really good to learn is get dash command, mm-hmm. and that will show you all of the commandlets available. So with mm-hmm. get dash help. You can find out what PowerShell is with get dash help and get dash command. You can find all of the commands you could type. They either will begin with get or set. Um, sets uh, set things and mm. get get things, which yep. kind of makes sense. So it, I like the fact that things are named fairly obviously, and it's this yep. verb noun kind of deal. And then uh, the last one I would say is get dash member. So mm. once you have an object like that, uh, let's say you say dollar sign my file equals mm. c colon test.txt. Assuming you have a test.txt file on your hard drive, yeah. the dollar sign my file is now that file. Mm. You can just type dollar sign my file and hit enter and the text file will come up. Yeah. If you want to find out what you can do to that, you can type dollar sign my file and then a space and then that pipe character mm. uh, which is, I don't have a keyboard in front of me. Yeah, uh, the vertical bar. The vertical yep. bar, yeah. Space after that get dash member and you can see all of the things you can do to mm-hmm. dollar sign my file one of those might be size mm-hmm. and so you could say dollar sign my file dot size and you'll get a size back mm-hmm. dollar sign my file dot append and you'll append data to it and mm-hmm. so on in my mind it's just fairly logical and i learn what i need to know 
and then I start adding as I have time. I don't have a lot of time. Yeah. So um, I add as as I do have time. So that's that's the way I work. So which DBAs do you think uh, would probably find value in putting the effort into learning it? Sure. I think two two different DBAs would would and it's interesting they're on opposite ends of the spectrum. Mm. The DBA for whom the the DBA role is only part of what they do. Mm. Um, I do Windows. I do our web server. I do all these things. Can I find a single tool that will help me work with all of these yeah. and automate it? I mean, right? We're always after automation. We should always let computers do the mm. things they're good at, and they're good at doing repetitive things a lot. And it is possible that the one script you may want to do things that. Affect both anyway. Absolutely. Yeah. Like I said, you know, you want to read the event logs and read the mm. Windows error logs at the same time. Yeah. So I right could imagine now, things to do with Exchange yeah, and SQL yeah, Server, absolutely. for example. If yeah, you so. add a user, wouldn't it be nice to add the user to Window, add them to Exchange, and add them to a group in SQL all mm. in one step? Wouldn't that be yeah. useful? Uh, so anyway, I'm even thinking things like orphaned accounts, sure. accounts in databases sure, and things absolutely. like that. Yeah. You could find mm. those quickly and, and go pair them up and mm. remarry them and so on. So there's that, and then I think the other DBA that would find this useful would be the one who, for whom they have huge, complicated databases, and databases are their world. Mm. Um, again, you're looking at repetitive tasks over multiple servers, and SQL is unique in that it needs to know about the operating system as well as SQL. In Unix, that's not always true. The, mm. There's there's a, a fairly heavy line between the Oracle or the MySQL admin and the administrator of the box. In SQL, most most every SQL DBA I know could install Windows, a server. Yeah. Right? Now, yeah. you might argue that anybody could install a Windows server, but yeah. my point is they would know about the memory and, and networking layer and so on. Yeah. That's not always true. I've known Oracle DBAs that could not install Linux or VAX clusters or uh, the VMs on a, a mainframe, yeah. right? Whereas you just don't have that separation in SQL. In fact, mm. our, our certification makes you learn about networking. Yeah. That's pretty unique. Not every, not mm. every database needs to know about the network layer. Yeah. In fact, uh, what, uh, the week before Barcelona or the three weeks before Barcelona, I was in the new, uh, SQL master certification. Oh, yeah. And, right, uh, right, right. Was teaching six days of that, uh, which was, uh, I should mention for those that haven't looked at that, it's, it's a, Excellent particularly case, intense yeah. uh, three weeks. Uh, I think most of the people that had uh, come along to start the class, there were 11 people on the class, but I think they had completely underestimated the yeah. time that would be involved in that. In fact, it uh, most days ran from sort of 8 till 6 with quite short breaks and yeah. things, and yeah. then often there were study groups until late in the evening, sure. ev- every evening. Uh, and then Friday, there were labs that needed to be done by the following Monday. Uh, each Monday morning, there's a couple of hour Prometric exam, uh, on anything in the previous week, but possibly anything in any of the pre-reading nice. uh, that you did before you came. And then on the final Saturday, uh, there was a two hour exam in the morning and then a six hour qualifying hands-on awesome. lab in, in the afternoon. And without saying anything too much about the lab, they, Certainly, uh, picked some challenging, uh, aspects, <laughs> shall we say, uh, in that. It wasn't a slam dunk. Uh, no, and certainly, um, uh, something where the tooling isn't probably going to be enough to, uh, to, to work just as it comes out of the box. So, uh, it, it, uh, it, it certainly was an interesting, um, yeah, sort of environment there with, sure. uh, with the amount of work in that. But yeah, no, it was, it was certainly an interesting course. <laughs> Yeah, it's intense. So I think I think that the large scale DBA could benefit from this as well. 
Yeah, the the thing that I found interesting also in the course though was the amount of time uh, we spent on detail on things like low level I/O yes. and and those yes. sort of aspects, which yeah. again many other D- DBAs I've not seen. Involved. Did you cover things yeah. like L two cash and oh absolutely and yeah. whether L two cash uh, would be better to have one of the one of the interesting things we did some experiments around was. Um, we had some money to spend. Should I mm. spend it on L2 cash, which is quite small actually? Yeah. Uh, because the processors back in the day, mm. uh, again, this is uh, back in when the dinosaurs roamed. Yeah. But um, back in the day, the L2 cash added a significant amount to the cost of the server, mm. so I could decrease the amount of physical memory. Which yeah. should I have? And the numbers we came out with, depending on the workload, was that a smaller amount of, of L2 cash, meaning mm. going from 512 to 1, one uh, meg yeah. again in the day. Uh, on the L2 cache, beat out having another gig of RAM in yeah. our particular case. Yeah. So, in fact, I, I remember those yeah. sort of proportions as, as to how they used to work. And uh, yeah, no, we yeah, one of the the more interesting days. We certainly spent a day with Gert Drapers where uh, yes. we did sessions there on uh, SQL operating system and SQL yes. memory and right. numer architecture and so on. So it, it was good. It was good. Yeah. But but certainly very low level details uh, compared to what you often see with with many other DBAs. Sure. So. Absolutely. So a, a difference, right? So I'm not mm. I'm not disparaging any other DBA because they probably know their platform mm. perhaps better than a SQL DBA does. Yeah. And, and that's fine. And I've heard that argument before. Oh, you don't mm. know your platform as well. I may not, but I know more than my platform better than you do. Mm. Yeah. So I, I find it difficult. I think all knowledge is is uh is useful depending mm. on, on what you need it for. Yeah. And so if you look at what what you think are the most common tasks that mm-hmm. you'll see uh, PowerShell used for, as mm-hmm. certainly one that uh, uh, has been used in a number of TechEd demos, there's a bit of code around uh, executing policy yeah. and things yeah. like that. So, um, but I mean, obviously that's one. Sure. But uh, maybe even if you mention the sort of things you could do with sure. that. So, so the one I show, I think that is the quickest to understand. Uh, I build it up in mm-hmm. the demo, um, and the. Uh, best the use a real live use because sometimes you you want it you you've taught classes yeah. before sometimes you need to teach something and the the actual thing you're teaching is more valuable than what you end up with the end the product yeah. at the end is kind of throwaway mm. well this is both so I show dir yep and then I show using dir over some tables using a select object and the select object grabs all tables larger than a certain value. Mm-hmm. And then a sort object follows that, which arranges them. And then uh, uh, convert to HTML object follows that. So what it basically does is this. It finds, just using DIR, it, a stone soup approach. Mm-hmm. It finds the top 10 sizes of tables by row count descending and puts them in an HTML page. Mm-hmm. Um, that's very useful, especially if you store that data and then look at it again tomorrow and have PowerShell tell you whether that's up or down and by how much percentage. Yeah. Very easy to do. Two lines, uh, very short lines. One line, actually, you can put everything on one line. Yeah. I put on, um, and that would show me, I suddenly see a spike. Uh, my log files are monstrous today. What happened? I look in my logs because PowerShell is showing me my logs as well. And it's showing me my logs side by side with Windows and the operating system. Mm-hmm. And I say, ah, an ETL process kicked off last night. And I was in the full recovery model. And my transaction log just grew. And I'm almost out of space on that hard drive. But it's not coming down. Why is that? What can I do about it? Mm-hmm. You could actually have it 
back up the database or truncate the log or send you a message yeah. or whatever. So it's not just this discovery mode. It's the reaction to that discovery mode where appropriate. I yeah, I think that's that. the thing that intrigues me. Um, one of the things uh, my wife May was doing is uh, spending a lot of time doing remote DBA work. Okay. And in so many sites, I see uh, the thing that happens on Monday morning is you deal with all the uh, log shipping failures <laughs> right. and things like yes. that. And invariably, it's because something like an index operation has been done over the weekend yeah. that's generated a lot of transaction log data that's mm-hmm. caused the, the log shipping. Something's run out of right, right. disk space, whatever, whatever. And it does strike me, though, that they tend to teach fairly new DBAs what they have to do every Monday morning yes. on each of these sites yeah. to go through and fix the problem. Yes. Imagine and if you could avoid that. That should just be a script. It, it should it should just not happen. <laughs> Here's another interesting thing that I've found uh, a use for it. When I when I manage multiple servers, do I manage a thousand servers? If you have a thousand SQL servers or Oracle or anything else, would you actually manage a thousand servers? Yeah, no. You, you don't. You react to the one or two that are doing something you don't expect, mm-hmm. which means I need a pretty serious monitoring solution in place. And you do something called manage by exception, right? Mm-hmm. Um, my grandmother had uh, 12 children, yeah. and they asked her how she could possibly keep up with 12 children. Mm-hmm. She explained that one child takes up all your time, so what difference could 11 more make? <laughs> <laughs> and I often called her the master of uh, exception-based management. She would respond to the one at the moment that was collapsing, right? Um, so that's kind of what we do as DBAs. When you have a mm-hmm. thousand servers, it's not as if you're going to check the logs on a thousand servers. No. That's all you do. So what you do is you have something else check them and look for the word error mm-hmm. and send you an email when that happens. And yeah. you respond to the one that's having the bad day. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that's the way I would like to think about this. I did a presentation while I was at TechEd Europe, talked about large scale systems management using the current tools we have today. Yeah. And by combining things like reporting services and PowerShell and so on, you can develop whether you need that process to be centralized, distributed, done in parallel, done mm-hmm. sequentially, and so on. By developing that matrix of tasks, you can develop, deploy, and manage using the tools you have. Yeah. And with Synthesis and some of the other things that were announced this week at uh, mm-hmm. a Pass, you're going to see us develop that develop, deploy, and manage concept even further. Yeah. Building on these tools like policy-based mm-hmm. management, PowerShell, and so on, you're going to see where, a lot of those. Where do you think we are with the tooling in terms of large numbers of servers? I managing? think we're we're in the beginning. Um, yeah. The SQL Server, as as Microsoft did in general, mm-hmm. commanded the the mid market uh, immediately because yeah. in the department you could instantly uh, manage and deploy everything you need to do in mm-hmm. a single or one or two server environment very quickly. So uh, imagine, so go back in your mind, back to the 80s mm. and even 70s, when you had a Unix shop, it's not as if each department had its own Unix server, yeah. right? Uh, you had a mainframe or a miniframe or, or maybe a Unix server, a Sun system, mm. sitting over in the corner, and uh, the people had to come to the big glass house to get what they wanted. The reason Microsoft and Novell and all the rest of them at that time uh, flourished was because they took the power away from IT and put it in the hands of those departments. Mm. But now you get larger again, and, and with any distributed system, you had SneakerNet, and then you had Ethernet, and then yeah. you had you know uh, what we just discussed, which is ExcelNet. Yeah. And now all of a sudden, things are the, the, you can't herd the cats, and you need some way to look across all of them. That's mm. where we're starting to get to. Policy-based management was really the first play towards that, yeah. which is this policy, this, this description of what I want my server to be like, or in some cases not to be like, mm. 
I want to look at a bunch of servers to do that. In PowerShell, it's interesting that you mentioned it, and it's also interesting that you mentioned that the agent can schedule PowerShell jobs. Mm -hmm. The policy-based management engine is not in uh, SQL Server 2005 and 2000, of course. Yeah. It's only in 2008. So 2008 can run it automatically and and by a schedule because the engine is sitting there. Mm. But what about these systems that um, don't have those engines, 2005 and 2000, which most of us still haven't? Well, now you can take that um, agent job in PowerShell, run a script that runs a policy against multiple servers. Yeah driven by a text file or an mm. XML file or even the central management server. Yeah, or it just some table in database. Those. Now yeah. suddenly, now it's running from a 2008 system, so it's mm. locally based. But now you're running against your whole enterprise every night, the best practices for your enterprise and the standard configuration you want your server to be in. Mm. When people get that and they go, oh, I see. When these servers have violated what I want, I go deal just with those. Mm. We're back to exception-based yeah. management. So I think when you see that, and then when we start answering the question of develop, deploy, and manage in the coming months and Kilimanjaro and then the next waves of SQL yeah. Server, I think you're going to see us uh, move out of that beginning stages and into a mature model. How long do you think it will take us to move, I suppose, more to a declarative or intent-based thing rather than finding things after the event? I mean, uh, example, one of the things I, I've always wanted is things like instead of DDL triggers yeah, because yeah, yeah. I actually want to prevent things yeah. from occurring. I'm with and, you. Uh, yeah. yeah, I hear that. So the instead of DDLs are mm. uh, specifically interesting around things that are not wrapped in a transaction. Yeah. Uh, that becomes the, the interesting thing. When you create a database, it's actually not done in a transaction. In yep. fact, it's not done in SQL. Mm. Creating a database is a very physical operation down at the operating system mm. level. And then an entry pointing to some files uh, inside uh, uh, the master database and then a stamp of the of mm. the database, the model database across that. I mean, it, it's actually a, a non-SQL version thing. Mm. It's a SQL server event. Yeah. So the trigger would have to be re-architected down at that level. So that yeah. becomes very non-trivial. I mm. think you'll see less of that and more of this policy-based management, which is the intent-based mm. management now. But even the policy, the thing I'm thinking is that in most cases, I I, I want to be able to control if an event actually occurs, like before it occurs. Yeah, no, I'm know, with you. So, I'm yeah, with you. Yeah. A, At some point, uh, I think you'll see the policies walk further and further back in the stack mm. uh, to where you'll get – and and to be honest, that is exactly our intent, is to yeah. go to intent-based management. Mm. That is the yeah. that is where we want to go, to where you declare, I want my server to be like this, and mm. it happens that way. Yeah. We even have some of that. You can right-click a server object in SQL Server 2008, an instance – and uh, one of the facets, you'll see a facets mm. uh, thing there, and you can look at my blogs if you're not familiar yeah. with these terms. But one of the facets there is the installation, SQL Server installation, mm. and we can push out what the server should be like when it's installed. You can actually prevent mm. the system from installing itself uh, with the wrong parameters. Yeah. It's kind of interesting. Yeah, no, that's good. Of. Yeah, I think the, the sort of things I look at is I see um, – uh, again, as you say, some actions that you can't roll back, things like that, or actions that you might not want somebody to do, but if they did it, you certainly don't want to undo well, yeah, exactly. <laughs> the fact Sometimes that you it happened. hurt yourself, right? Yeah. Do the patient that that no would harm. be even worse. Like yeah, going so. to the emergency room, if you got a knife in you, you probably don't want to pull it out, right? Go, yep. go there and let them do that, right? Because it causes more problems. Funny you mention that. I, I, have a, uh, I have a brother who works as an ER nurse. and uh, In Australia? Yeah. 
And uh, it, it's it's just odd because again, his entire background was things like <laughs> uh, blowing up mountains. And uh, he was a civil engineer, and uh, he just had suddenly this, he's ER. Yeah. He's, suddenly he's an ER nurse. Yeah. So <laughs> I, I, I one of the careers I wanted to get into when I got out of the military was to, to go into medical. So I, I started the pre med classes and all that stuff, and. Mm. I rode the ambulance, convinced me I did not want to go into medicine. I wanted to fix things that didn't bleed when they were broken. Yeah. Um, so the exciting thing around uh, around that is the fact that uh, here in America, we see a lot of Australian programs and shows and stuff. And I think we've become, when I when I lived in England, they saw a lot of American TV, like mm. the A-Team in Dallas. Yeah. So they were all convinced we were rich and were heavily armed. And I think we've gotten the impression that Australians don't fear anything, um, uh, that, that you'll do anything... Uh, with your bodies and and two <laughs> things that you just basically come from a really rugged place and we're scared of most of you. So you, the fact that your your uh, relationship there is with someone who is an ER in that environment is awe inspiring to me. Oh yes, yes. <laughs> the, the, the variety of things that people can do to themselves or have happened to them. Yes, it's a. I would and, imagine and in a, Australia that's, that's that's a whole other level. Is yeah, it not? It's at yeah. a different level. Yeah, it's a, I, I think the uh, people always talk about. Uh, the things that can hurt you, and we certainly have all the things that can you hurt you. You have all you. the things yeah. that can oh, hurt yeah. you, yeah. <laughs> so, in Florida, we have most of the poisonous snakes in the United States, and in uh, Australia, I think you have all of the things that can kill you. Yeah, I think in terms of snakes, they talk about the ten most poisonous, and we have, I think, seven. Okay, <laughs> yeah. well, all right then. <laughs> That's yeah. right. Well, you can keep all that, and uh, you can keep the spiders that kill you and the snakes that swim. That's impressive. <laughs> yes. And the sharks, the great big gigantic sharks. The, the thing I, the thing I uh, find amusing, though, is the people that, deal with those sort of things yes. on a regular basis uh, up in obviously not in city areas <laughs> but uh the uh, i just love how laid back they are they're, yes, they're, that's I my saw, point. Yeah. i saw a, a tv interview with a guy uh who was uh, uh runs a crocodile farm north of cairns and uh the reason he was on the tv is he'd had his arm bitten off uh, by the crocodile and uh but uh, in the interview he was saying well she'd She'd never done that before. (laughs) (laughs) You thought you were in a situation where she could have done that before? I thought, clearly, uh, you still had an arm. Well, maybe uh, that's why why we see so many tough Australians. They're the only ones that have survived. (laughs) Actually, it was quite funny also... some of the books I read, I, I quite like Bill Bryson's books. Okay, yeah, and yeah, yeah. Uh, and he has one called Down Under, and uh, wh- one of the things he notes uh, quite amazingly is that we tend to have named so many things in the country after explorers that were not very good. Uh, <laughs> yes. They they went out and died. They, they didn't come back. <laughs> they didn't yeah. come back. So, in fact, they, they, they weren't particularly good explorers. <laughs> yes. Well, they were good explorers. They just weren't good returners, I guess. <laughs> yeah. is a, one of the criteria should be you have to come back and tell us yeah. about it. You know, we can't find your yeah. journals later. <laughs> And he was also noting that uh, it's amazing watching archaeologists and geologists and people who continue to pour all around uh, Europe, you know, where everybody's been forever, <laughs> yes. and yet we have areas that, like, no, nobody's ever nobody's seen. Nobody's ever seen. <laughs> <laughs> and, and they've had uh, scientists go out, find things that are like almost like the missing link type yeah, things, yeah, yeah. and then, th- then they can't find where it was <laughs> you know, when they go back. So. Eating breadcrumbs or something. <laughs> yeah, the um, uh, I've always been impressed. I went down to New Zealand uh, mm-hmm. one time and did some work down there and uh, made the mistake that uh, it was very similar to Australia and uh, was was set straight by the Kiwis <laughs> rather quickly. Yes. And I, I, I suppose the same argument would be made if I went down to Australia. Yeah. So it's interesting. My daughter was born in Melbourne. Ah. But it's Melbourne, Florida. Yes. Uh, <laughs> so in Florida, there's a, a town named Melbourne. And... Um, uh, 
the funny thing is that the person who named it was from Melbourne, Australia. They had a naming contest back in the 1800s or whenever this town was founded, and the guy who won like some lottery was from Melbourne. He couldn't think of anything better than Melbourne. <laughs> so I'm from my, my daughter's from Melbourne, Florida. It's kind of funny to me. Well, that's good. Well, that brings us pretty close to time. I suppose where will people see you, or what what's happening coming up? I'm all over the place. Uh, I uh, have a few blogs. I keep a blog, as I mentioned, at mm-hmm. blogs.msdn.com and forward slash uh, Buck Woody, all one word, mm-hmm. B-U-C-K-W-O-O-D-Y, uh, Carpe Datum, C-A-R-P-E-D-A-T-U-M, dot spaces, dot live, dot com is my sort of personal life. Uh, you can find all those at buckwoody.com along with the books I've written and so on. I do the Real World DBA podcast, which is mm-hmm. a more simplistic podcast than one like this, uh, just covering some basic features mm-hmm. in um, SQL Server. Uh, there's lots of advanced podcasts, but I couldn't find very many um, basic ones. So that's on uh, edge.technet.com. And if you click on the DBA tag, they use tags there a lot. If you click mm-hmm. on DBA, you'll find me there. Uh, I also come to TechEd, Pass. I'm, I'm at most of the conferences. I do webcasts for TechNet and so on. Um, again, this is one part of our job, but we turn around and get kind of busy doing other parts. So I'm kind of in and out. This has been a stretch where I've been a lot of places, but I'm mm-hmm. in and out lately. Correct. Well, thank you very much for your time oh, thank today. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs>